0: Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. If I were to hand you this bag of Legos this morning and ask you to build something from the pieces, more than likely you'd be able to build something. But if I didn't give you the big picture, if I didn't give you the instructions to what they were supposed to look like, more than likely you'd get it wrong. However, the opposite is true. This is a sharp bunch of people, so I believe with all my heart that if I gave you this bag, along with the picture, or along with the instructions that came with it, you would do a masterful job of putting together just the way the designer intended. Now, some of us in this world have been given the ingredients for healthy relationships and habits And uh, finances, the ability to make wise decisions, the ability to be able to to connect with people fairly easily and maintain those relationships. Some of us have been given what we've needed for a healthy life in regards to the instructions or the big picture. However, many of us haven't. We've not been given the picture of the purpose, at least not right out of the gate from a dating standpoint, or from a marriage standpoint, or from a parenting standpoint, or from an employment standpoint. Some of us have just been left to figure it out on our own. Not easy. And so part of my role here at KCC, I realize, is to put before us a picture and a purpose for our lives on earth. And it's simply this, as best as I can ascertain from God's word, from the instructions. And that is for us to be a visual picture of just how much God loves his children. When Gail and I wake up in the morning, we are not chasing a hundred different things together. We're after one thing, and that is to love each other and anybody in our path in a way that the world becomes convinced of one truth. An extraordinary God loves everyday, ordinary people, and He wants a forever relationship with them, and not just any relationship, but one that brings meaning and fulfillment to our lives. And here's what I'm excited to say today. You can have both, both a relationship with the creator of this universe and a life here that's full of meaning and fulfillment, not just existence, not just surviving, not just getting by, but overflowing, are you kidding me, kind of life. Now, that could just be me making this up, especially if I was in front of thousands of people and hoping to make money off of something you were going to buy after the show was over. This is directly from God's word, directly from the lips of his son that he sent, who was the living word. Here's what Jesus said. I came. The purpose for me being here was for you to have life and to have it to the full. And then he sent his disciples out on a mission to point everyone to him so that they might have life. And who could do this? Only the one. Next slide. Who's the way and the truth and the life? Let's pray. Mighty, mighty God, those can just be words. And none of them are new. We've read them before. We've heard them before. But you've promised that wherever two or three are together, something, something incredible happens. You come to be with us in a special way. Don't quite understand that mystery, but I'm excited it's true. Have experienced that it's true. And so I'm asking this morning that as we come together as a family and as we hear that truth again, that you have come to give us life and life to the full, that we truly would believe that we can experience that here and help others to do the same. Father, we realize we're not the only ones who are trying and leaning into this truth. Uh, First Assembly of God, great brothers and sisters there, are doing the same thing. They're breaking bread this morning. They're, They're lifting up your word as the word of life. They're pointing people to your Son as much as they possibly can. So would you enable all of our efforts to be unified and whole so that we could present a, 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 powerful, a powerful message to the world that your Son came and it really does matter. We ask us humbly in Jesus' name and everyone said. To a church that was experiencing some tough times they would call unprecedented. The Apostle Peter reminds them that having a string of good days that connects to a great life doesn't hinge on circumstances around me, but hinges on choices within me. Choices that we've seen over the last two weeks that, first of all, have to deal with our mouths. Peter says, if you want to change your life, change your words. Now, he was just taking his cues from the brother of Jesus, James, when he was writing to a group of folks he was discipling, and he said this, if you claim to be religious and you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion's worthless. That's a stunner. In vain, some translations say. Worth nothing, others say. Now Peter's a bit more specific when he talks about what a controlled tongue looks like. He says it's a tongue that refuses to belittle people and to degrade people or demean people with our words. But as we saw last week, it's also a tongue that refuses to deceive people, to shade the truth, to lie to them. Peter says good days and a great life hinge on it. But not only with our talk, as we're going to see this week, also with our walk. Specifically, Peter's going to encourage us, as you've got listed there in your bulletin, and is out on the screen here, that if you want to love life and see good days, you've got to keep your mouth from speaking evil and from also speaking deceit, but also you need to turn from evil and do what's right. There's There's the walk part. Now, those are two distinct things, turning from evil and then doing what's right. And we'll talk about both of them. Let's talk about the first one to begin with, the choice to turn from evil. Now, I want to ask for a measure of grace as I probably take us through about three to five minutes of this next session, and here's why. The honesty that I want to, I want to extend this morning and I want to share about what it means to turn from evil um, is not easy for me to do. Because I realize some of you walked in here today and there's just there's some shambles of a relationship or some shambles of some finances or maybe some shambles of your health that you realize come from some bad choices that you've made. And I just want to ask for your grace because I want to talk about that and the reality of it. And that may sound like bad news to begin with, but I promise you we're going to get to the good news about it. But our words with our actions have something to do with the life that we experience in this world. God intended for our marriages to operate in a certain way. He intended for our friendships to operate well in a certain way. That our employment opportunities, that our finances all can work well with the way that He's designed us to work. With the instructions He's provided for us to do that with. Now what does it look like when someone has decided to make decisions against the designer's advice? and yet blame the designer for it. Well, it looks like this. A young man can't get a job because he can't pass a drug test. And so he's upset with God because he won't get him a job. A couple's violating the principle of the Sabbath in their household. I mean, they're going and going and going. They want more for themselves and for their kids, and they never take the time. They never leave room for rest and grateful reflection over what they already have. And so the, the, the house is always tense. And where that shows out most often is in a marriage and the fallout it brings to the couple. And every now and then, one of those couples on the way to divorce court stops by my office, and they ask me to help them pull a rabbit out of a hat and to save a very, very broken marriage that's been broken for a very, very long time. And when Gail and I try to share with them that it's going to hinge on letting go of some hurtful behaviors maybe some things they're saying some things that they're doing and then embracing some helpful behaviors some other words and some other habits that they that they can start by the power of the holy spirit and with the help of the church most if not 95% in my lifetime would rather have a new model than a new makeover we're hosting a funeral today for an 8-year-old girl who didn't die from a freak accident She didn't die from a freak illness. She died from a fatal choice, at least allegedly, of a man who drove drunk, drove into her house, and killed her in the night. Her death came from a choice. Listen to me. Not by chance. That was connected to a choice. Not by chance. And most brokenness in this world follows the same pattern. Relational disasters, monetary disasters, employment disasters, most of them happen not because of unexpected illnesses or unexpected unemployment, but because of disrespectful and disobedient choices. Choices, not chance. Paul warned the Roman church that the payoff for such rebellious choices is, and it's a strong word, death. The wages of sin is death. Now those of us who've been at life more than just probably a decade, can understand this next statement that I think parallels that. That sin will take us further than we want to go. And it will keep us longer than we want to stay. And it will cost us more than we want to pay. And that's not the first time you've heard me share that truth, but I've, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I appreciate the truth behind it, but here's what I hate. I hate the fallout that comes from it. The reality of the, the truth is, is, is solid, yes. Yes. But, man, the consequences are miserable. Michael Pena knows it's true. He's a good friend of mine. Years ago, he was a high-functioning alcoholic. He made over $100,000 a year cleaning carpets back in the 90s. Very personable, very disciplined. He was a huge success in business, but he was a failure when it came to leisure. His leisure was forever tied to alcohol, and that's why. It bankrupted his marriage, And then it began destroying the relationship he had with his kids. And so one Sunday, he made a great choice. He put his faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and in God's Word to change his life. He came and asked for the prayers of the church to support him. And then he enlisted in a proven 12-step program called Celebrate Recovery. He was doing great for almost a year. Almost every aspect of his life was on the left and up. But on Thanksgiving Day... He went over to a young lady's home he was dating, and she offered Michael some wine with his meal. And Michael will tell you later that he should have made the choice to humble himself and say he was recovering alcoholic, but he couldn't have alcohol to drink with his meal. He'd just take tea or water. But he decided in the moment not to be embarrassed. He wanted to make a good impression on the girl, and so he took the drink. Now, Michael's body is predisposed to be an alcoholic. Genetically, he cannot tolerate any alcohol in his system. He knew that. But he could choose to not drink. So when he had that glass of wine, it led to not just the entire bottle, it led to two. And then when he got home that night, barely, it led to a third. He woke up the next day and had the craving for another and realized that if he got in the car and drove, it was probably going to lead to a DUI. And so instead, he went next door, broke into a home the people had left for the summer. And he left the $38 that was on the nightstand, but he took the alcohol that was in the liquor cabinet. As he was climbing out of the window to leave, the police were waiting for him because he had tripped aside an alarm in his search for the alcohol. He was hauled off to jail, and while he was in jail, he was so ashamed at falling off the wagon and being caught burglarizing a home in the community that he had had such a successful business in for so many years, he tried to kill himself. What he did was, in the prison bathroom, he took off a shoe, and he broke the the protective um, cover over the light bulb and took one of the shards and was about to cut his wrist when the guard tackled him and probably saved his life. He was alive, but Michael will tell you that for the next four months, he wished he could have died. The DTs and the damage to his credit, not to mention his reputation, were just huge. Because sin will take you further than you want to go. And it will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will almost always cost you more than you want to pay. Trina can tell you that that's true. She's the daughter of some of our closest friends. They were raising another generation of great disciples in their home. Trina was a senior in high school. She began dating a guy who was in the service. They loved him. He loved her, loved the family. And on one of the dates, Trina decided to have sex with him. She made a choice. Two months later, she found out she was pregnant. She was in love with him. He was in love with her. But having launched a career in the military just recently, he wasn't in the best position to get married or to have a child. So they both decided to postpone getting married till later and to put the baby up for adoption. Well, as you can imagine, both sets of parents were thrilled about that decision. They all met in Lubbock to discuss you know, what adoption agency they would use. And they were all coming together for a meeting when Trina's boyfriend crossed the state line of Texas coming from Florida. He got about ten minutes inside the state line and ran into a thunderstorm, lost control of his car, and he died en route to that meeting. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will almost always cost you more than you want to pay. How could God let that happen? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God let what happen? The hurt and the brokenness that took up resident in Trina's life after the accident was absolutely devastating. And she would be the first to tell you that that devastation came from her choices not because of chance. The truth is, some of you are in a similar place. And that's why I asked for your grace before I entered into this section of the lesson because I, I realize what kind of a mess you've been. I've been in a similar mess in my own life. And maybe miserable mess is actually what identifies that better than just mess. And the reason was because we made some miserable choices. I don't share any of that to burden you. I say it to bless you. Because 1 Peter 3 says, so much of our good days and a great life has to do with a choice. Hear me, not chance. And a God who loves you, who designed life on His earth His way. You see, God's love for me, as we talked about last week, as kind of a preview for this week, is totally unconditional. He can't help but love you because that's who He is. He is love. So no matter how good you perform or how badly you perform, how wisely you choose or unwisely you choose, He couldn't love you more and He couldn't love you less. Love from Him is totally unconditional. But His life for you, absolutely conditional. It hinges on you listening to the designer and putting together relationships with your husband and your wife and your children and your employer and your employees the way he's asked you to do it because he knows best how a human life was created to be lived. He didn't just teach us that. He came and walked among us to show us that. From the very beginning of time, God says this. My life for you has been planned out. Planned out. And it's been based on some very powerful promises. And it's underscored with some incredible power that he wants to add into our lives so that all of those plans come to fruition. Now, I don't understand the mystery of all that, how it all works. I just trust him that it works. But then there's this fourth ingredient that needs to be a part of that as essential as all the others, and that's your what? Participation. Say it together with me. you got to participate. God can have all the plans and the promises and the power available to all of us here, but unless you get in the yoke with Him, unless you come alongside of Him, unless you invite Him to be in it with you, unless you participate, not a. No, actually worse, disaster. Nothing might be a blessing, but that's not true. Our lives are too big. They're too meaningful. They matter too much which is why you've got an evil one who's trying to get you to not believe in his plans and not believe in his promises and certainly not believe in his power so that he can keep you from participating and destroy your life. Jesus may have come to give us abundant life, but there's a thief who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. All of that's right there in John 10. Now, that sounds maybe like a burden, but I I don't think so because that means... Today, starting right now, you can choose a better life than the one that you have. That you're not locked in. Because what Satan wants you to believe is is that because of your genetic disposition, you're locked in. Or or because you were potty trained poorly. Or because your your third grade teacher had it in for you. Or because your parents were divorced. Or because you didn't have enough money in the bank account growing up. Or because you were told, or you weren't told by your dad that he loved you. Or worse, that he was telling you he loved you while he abused you. And because that's happened in my life, my life's over. So not! (laughs) That's why 1 Peter 3.10 is one of the favorite verses of all. It's actually just a repetition of what David said in Psalms chapter 34. So it's both an old covenant and a new covenant promise. Well, that makes sense. The designer, when he made human beings, designed us to work according to the design. And when we don't, it's not just, oh, that's kind of a bad product. It's death. Most of you adults in here listening to me have experienced some of it. <laughs> but it's amazing how many of us just want to keep believing and it's because of somebody else's choices, what they've done to me or what they haven't done for me. It's because I'm experiencing this miserable life that I've got. And Henry is my favorite example of that. He was pulled over by a policeman. The guy walks up to the car and says, Sir, did you know that you were doing 71 in a 60? And Henry said, No, sir, I, I, I didn't. And um, his wife, Agnes, who was sitting next to him, said, Oh, Henry, you had the cruise control set on 70. <laughs> he gave his wife the stink eye. The officer said, I noticed that you weren't wearing your seatbelt either. And he said, Yes, sir, I, I took it off as I saw you approaching. She said, Oh, Henry, you never wear your seatbelt. The officer also said uh, one morning, <laughs> one more thing. I said, "I noticed that your left tail light was out." And Henry said, "Well, thank you, sir. I didn't know it." And she said, "Oh, Henry, you've been trying to get that thing fixed for weeks." Finally, Henry had, had enough. He said, "Agnes, would you just shut up?" And the officer had had enough, and he leaned in and said, "Ma'am, does he always talk to you this way?" And she said, "Oh no, sir. Only when he's drunk." Now, I've told that joke better, but you laughed well. (laughs) Now, you can just see Henry tomorrow morning next door with a neighbor talking about how Agnes got him in so much trouble, right? Or how this police officer had kind of overstepped his bounds. You know how they are, you know, uh, taking advantage of innocent people these days. Doesn't it make you want to say Henry? Henry? Enough with the excuses already. Enough already with the excuses. Peter would say, Henry, it matters what you do, not what's done to you, if you want to have life. Peter says, if you want to experience good lives that connected together enough, produce a great life, turn from evil and destructive choices, and do what's right. I want to say this morning, enough already with the excuses whatever the excuses are that's holding you back from life in your marriage, in your body, in your jobs, in this church, enough of the excuses already that someone else has done something that's just ruined your life. No, sir. It's up to you and him, the designer, to get this thing figured out. So, enough already with the excuses. You don't have to be promiscuous because your dad was distant and unaffected. You can choose better. Enough with the excuses that you can't hold a job baloney. You can't learn how to hold your tongue so that you can maintain a job for more than two weeks. You can choose to keep a covenant of your marriage regardless of how poorly your parents kept that covenant in front of you. You can confess that you've blown it and humble yourself before the God who made you and who designed you to work in some very specific ways and you can say, would you help me? And you know what he'll say? Every time couldn't wait for you to finally make up your mind that it's about you and me. Not others, but you and me. Trina and Michael both know the power of this. They both brought their brokenness to the church and said, we're a mess. We need God's help, and we need the support of our family here to help us get our lives back. And because, as my name says, they fessed up, they got freed up. And they did. Michael went on to get a master's degree in his late 40s. And he lives today in Albuquerque, New Mexico, helping other addicts break free from substance abuse. Yay, God! Trina married a Navy SEAL, and they had another child to add to the one that Trina didn't abort. They raised Addie. She's a beautiful young woman, smart, intelligent. And you know what? Her mother gave her a wonderful choice to live. And now it's on Addie to do something with that life. It's her turn to choose. Michael and Trina will tell you that their lives have been graced because of decisions that they have made to turn from evil, destructive choices and to make choices, participate in choices that are good. Again, those are two very different things. I'd like to point out how they are. James, the brother of Jesus, points this out when he says, religion isn't just refraining from bad behavior, it's participating in good ones when he writes this. Religion that our Father accepts as pure and faithless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you see him separate those two things there? Just like Peter did over in 1 Peter 3.10? It, it's, it's one thing to, to not pollute people's lives with your ugly choices. But it's another thing to bless people's lives, to participate in, in doing good to them. And those are two things that have to be a part of your walk. Not just what you don't say or do say, but also what you don't do and what you participate in on the fall in the fall on wednesday nights we're going to be spending some time with a brother in christ who has become one of my heroes over the years he loves passionately and creatively and is one of the best theologians i think of our time his name is bob goff he's a christian lawyer who lives with his family in canada he serves on the faculty of Pepperdine University in their law school and also on the law school of Port Loma Nazarene University. Several years ago, he decided with his wife, whom he calls Sweet Maria, to set aside a certain amount of money that they have made and determined to live off of that. And I want you to understand, this man is a hugely successful lawyer, has made some serious bank but they set aside a pretty modest amount of money to live off of, and then decided to give the greater part of their life. Probably, we're not talking 10%, we're probably talking 70% of his income to those who need help. An amazing guy. If you can't be a part of our class, I want to encourage you to get Bob's book. It will not only inspire you, I promise you, it will challenge you to believe that your love can make a huge difference in the world not that you have to give 70% of your income, but that you would give anything of yourself to somebody else and see what God would do with that. Now, what he's doing with that income is investing it in an organization he has called Love Does, and one of the major things it does is to go into horrible places, some places in Uganda, some places in Nepal, some places in Iraq, to be able to help deliver children from bad labor practices and sex trafficking. Two areas that most of us will give money to, but have very little desire to go be involved with. Bob realizes there's some people that need to be involved with that, and his organization is. One story that's not in the book that we're going to be reading. Again, i got to tell you, get the book. If you're not a part of our class, we're going to be doing it here in person on Wednesday nights and also going to be trying to do it in Zoom. I've never done a both before. We're going to see. But a story that's not in the book that won my heart to Bob involves a witch doctor that he took to court. In Uganda, witch doctors still hold people hostage in fear. Nobody was standing up to them, especially regarding a practice of capturing young boys and sacrificing them by cutting off their genitals, which was considered strong black magic. And all the boys died from it, at least those that Bob was aware of, until a boy by the name of Charlie was abducted and maimed, and he survived the brutality. And the word got back to Bob and his organization, Love Does, decided then and there to take this as an opportunity to take that witch doctor to court and have him put away for life. A witch doctor who just so happened to be the head of all witch doctors in the nation of Uganda. His name is Kavi. That's the little boy, Charlie, that's in the picture. Bob petitioned the chief justice of the Supreme Court and secured permission to try the case. That took a courageous judge just to even try the case. And they won. They won. And the word traveled to 41 million people almost overnight that a witch doctor had finally been arrested and placed in jail for life for the crimes that he had committed. And not was just justice elevated in the nation of Uganda, but Jesus was elevated because a Christian lawyer who would have (laughs) kicked back and enjoyed just a simple life of luxury chose what God had blessed him with to use it to bless others who didn't have much. The story doesn't end there. (laughs) Again, that would have been a nice story. But a doctor heard about what transpired with Charlie, and he calls up Bob and says, I heard about what happened, and I'd like to fix him. Bob said, you must not have heard what was cut off with the machete. You can't fix that. And he said, I'm the chief surgeon at Sinai Medical Center, and I can make him home. That's what I specialize in. Bob said, how much is that going to cost? And he said, it would be staggering but I'll do it for free. Bob said, well, we have a lot of free needs. And so they traveled back to Uganda. Bob became his guardian, Charlie's guardian, brought him back to the United States, and the first thing that happened when he had entered the States was they landed in LaGuardia, and they were handed a note from a presidential staff. And it was asking that while Charlie was in the States, President Obama said, could he come by the Oval Office? I'd like to meet him. He left there, flew to California, had the surgery. Total success. And then, after he was well enough to travel, traveled to the Oval Office and spent some time with the President of the United States. Yay, God! I get to serve a God like that. He's my dad. He's my father. He's the one who designed me, knows how I best work, and knows how my marriage works, and knows how a church should work. He knows everything, everything. Think James Houston is smart? (laughs) He knows everything and is dying, literally, dying to come get our attention enough to say, hey, look up here. We can do something great together. Now, the story doesn't stop there. I probably would have lost interest a long time ago. The story moves on. Bob gets Kabi back to Uganda and Travels back to America, and God won't leave him alone with Kavi, the witch doctor. Stays after him, nudging him to go and share the gospel with him. And so Bob picks up the phone, and he calls the the maximum security prison where Kavi is being held, and the warden says, nobody gets in here. Bob said, well, did I happen to mention that I'm also the pro counsel for the General Republic of Uganda? Just so happens that 10 years earlier, through some crazy story that you'll get to read the book, that Uganda came and asked him to be their, co- their, their general co-counsel. Now, you don't know what that is, and neither do I. It doesn't matter. It's somebody important. Important enough for a warden to say, well, you can come on in then. And so he does. He goes in and he sees Kavi. And what he finds is a man who's just been broken. Just broken. He starts talking to Bob about how terrible he feels about what he did to those boys. He tells him about his life and how Witchcraft entered that life. And he told Bob, he said, I know I'm going to die in this place, but you know what I need? I need forgiveness. Bob said, I felt like I was talking to the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. The one who asked to be remembered, not forgiven. And then Jesus said, today you get paradise. Right there, I talked to Kavi about the gospel of Christ, and Kavi gave his heart to Christ. And Bob began being honest at this point. as he's, I'm listening in on this interview that you can find it on YouTube. He says, you know, when he said yes to Jesus, I thought, God, no. I wanted him out. Not in. Don't you love his honesty? Bob said some things started to change in me at that moment. I learned that you don't have to understand grace. But what God has asked us to do is receive it and just give it away. That's what he's asking of us. Bob says, I met with Ka- I still meet with Kavi every time I go to Uganda. And Kavi, I love this, he actually believes he's a new creation. <laughs> that the old has died and that the new has come. Now there's some consequences to his choices and decisions. He's going to be separated from society for the rest of his life, but he won't be separated from Jesus. Bob asked the warden if anybody there had presented the gospel to the other men on death row. And the warden said, no, and not even you gets in there. Bob said, well, could Covey do it? The warden said, sure, he's on death row. Well, the warden actually allowed Bob to go with him, but Bob couldn't speak, only Kavi could. And so Covey stood there with his hand in Bob's hand, and he shared the gospel with 3,000 men on death row. And Bob said, he butchered the gospel. It was terrible. He said, I've never heard anybody preach it so poorly in my life. But the one thing he got right in it was forgiveness. And at the end of his sermon, he asked anybody there if they wanted to be baptized. And over 300 men came at that moment to give their lives to Christ. <laughs> and when he started baptizing him, Kavi was doing the baptizing him. He said, I don't know that he could do that. The gospel says that he could because the old man was crucified in the waters he was baptized in and the new man was the one that was doing the baptizing because we serve a God that's that big and his love is that big and he's just looking for a vessel somewhere here in this room that he can pour that love into and hopefully there will be another hole in the other side of that either through your mouth or through your actions that that love can flow out and into the world what could his love do in you? I'm telling you, Peter says it will give you life A life like you never imagined. Never. So, enough already with the excuses as to why you can't have life. Enough already. The God of the universe says, come on. Look at me. Love like me. And let's see what kind of life you get to enjoy. Enough already with the excuses. Father, we come to you this morning and Easy to say. Hard to humble ourselves and say, "I am responsible. My choices. My way, not yours." And I'm asking this morning if you've brought someone here today who's who's just worn out with blaming everybody else but themselves, that they'll fess up and get freed up. Thank you for your promise that that would be that that, that would be possible, that it would even be true. Thank you for the gift that you've given us through the cross and the resurrection that was your stamp of approval on that life and ours, that resurrection and new life is possible. So this morning, God, as we sing the song of praise to honor you, uh, we just ask you, please, stir the hearts of those that are singing it this morning. And if they need to find someone to share their burden with, please help them, help them find me or help them find one of the elders. Help them find a trusted someone to say, I, I need to draw a line in the sand today and make this gospel my gospel. This life that's been promised to me my life. And Father, if there's some of us here today who, who we have that. We signed on with you a long time ago. But to be honest, we have not been paying much of attention to the instructions. We've lived at this as if it's our life, not yours. We just want to get that back. Give you free free reign and, and and power to be able to do everything that you need to do to make new life possible in us and through us. And we ask us humbly in Jesus' name. And everybody sit. Let's go to the table, but let's sing first.